Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. UberBear, and tonight I'm joined by two special guests, uh, excluding uh, the one and only Stu. He wasn't able to make it this evening. Instead, we have two of our favorites. One was on your previous Peasant Cube, as well as your Popper Cube, Sandwich. Chris Moore. The next person we're going to have on the show, uh, we talked about him. He's our regional dragonologist. You may have heard about him. You may have read about him in some of the books here. It is Dr. Dr. Wilsey, which is me, Just Stu. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing Magic since 1993, which because they wouldn't let me before that. I've been on again, off and on again, and now I'm back, and I met you guys, and you got me back into 60-card Magic, and then this format called Commander. And then somebody started making cubes, which was sandwich. And then I heard that somebody was going to make a podcast about cubes, which was not sandwich, not yet. And so I had to make a cube. And I did. And what exactly kind of cube did you make? Because I think you've been a pioneer for our group. You've done something a little bit outside of the quote unquote color spectrum. What did you build? We'll see. What I built was a mono white cube. So the question you may be asking is why would you build a cube that's just one color? And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, the main reason for me was that that's something that the limitations made it actually easier for me to build a queue. Instead of having to go through my entire collection and find a bunch of stuff that was going to be close to what you guys already had with your power cubes and your peasant and pauper and your themed cubes, I was like, what can I do that I can just focus on something simple, something really easy that I probably already have, you know, 75, 80% of the cards for and put together in an afternoon so I can have something that you guys won't make fun of me for not having a cube. And since my favorite deck is Death and Taxes, I could take my Death and Taxes deck apart and add, I don't know, 300 cards to that, and suddenly, bam, I have a cube. It's just that easy. No, it's not that easy at all. But before we go any further down this conversational, that's a great little prelude to this very interesting, very fine-tuned cube that we've had a great time playing recently. We're going to do the thing that we always do here at UberCube, and we're going to enjoy our libations or refreshments of the show. We're going to start out with Chris Moore. What are you having this evening? I'm having a Torpedo Extra IPA from Sierra Nevada. And how about you, David? What are you having, sir? I have in front of me an Elysian Space Dust IPA. And I am going to enjoy a Boatswain American IPA. I've never had this before, so I'm interested. Let's crack them open. Let's get a little bit further into this topic and talk about this really cool and interesting cube design. All right, so David, you've got a mono white cube. We've kind of preloaded with that. We've got, we got an idea. It's, and most people probably have their assumptions about what maybe a mono white deck might do in Magic. What have you done to make this cube break outside the norms or the expectations of what people traditionally think a mono white deck would do what are your thoughts on this what was the inspiration behind this cube besides the taxes idea that you talked about beforehand yeah so typically when people think about mono white decks in general they're thinking weenie creatures they're thinking stacks effects they're thinking not card draw the things that white does so i wanted to focus on expand on that obviously there's there's a whole lot more that white does especially in more recent years wizards have given us a bunch of cards that add to the white color identity. I wanted to explore that as much as possible, put in a bunch of things that weren't just my favorite cards, but focus on some of the different things that white does that other colors do too in their, its own unique way. So I wanted to focus on things like creature types. Obviously, you've got your soldiers, you've got your angels, knights, spirits, clerics, humans, obviously, in every color. 
You've got things like enchantments. You've got tokens, obviously. Equipment, big thing in my cube. Bunch of mono-white planeswalkers. Your favorite thing, life gain. Uh, anthems and plus one, plus one counters, as well as just ETB effects and blink are kind of the focuses of my cube. So as a curator, as a constructor, and, and you, you're part of this group, you've got this consortium of cubes at this point. So you want to do something different and unique, and you were diving into, I mean, on the color spectrum, a lot of times magic players, and I'll put it frank, mono white and mono green, they kind of get, uh, they get the poo-poo on, right? Like a lot of players really want to dive into the Grixis spectrum. They consider that the most powerful aspects of magic. But as you can see on the MTGO and other colors, people seem to gravitate. If, if you don't miss it and you watch our good friend Jaybro, who was on a recent episode where we talked about life gain, if you focus on the mono-white deck and the MTGO, you will see the win rates excel because oftentimes it's the open lane. You've built an entire cube developed behind the open lane. So in this cube with the different things you talked about, like life gain, soul sisters, anthems, knights, soldiers, flying, I mean, angels, all the things, right? How do you differentiate your archetypes within this particular to make them all look different, even though they're the same color? I'm really curious as a, a fellow curator. That is a fantastic question. So the idea is to find as many different things as possible to look at. So that when somebody's because obviously every single card is going to be playable, whatever pile of cards you wind up with, you can build a deck out of it. So you want to have some things that have synergy. Um, so looking for cards that have creature type matters. So an effect that is going to either bump knights or, you know, turn things into angels, or whatever it is that'll be kind of a signpost. And your signposts aren't all going to be uncommon. Like a lot of the signposts in the cube are really at the rare or mythic rare. All right. So I've got a question. I'm going to lean towards Chris on this one. He's also a drafter of this cube. And and we didn't really, I don't know if we designed this from a 40,000 foot concept. This is a 360 cube. Uh, he's curated this very meticulously and to have a layout with archetypes within the same color, which is a challenge, a restriction that goes outside even my spectrum. Typically, when I want to do an archetype, I'll lean to the color for the archetype, right? If I'm going to do a mono black, I'm doing some kind of suicide black idea or something like that. But it, I can see where it could be really challenging to be a curator and go, well, I have now restricted myself not only to one color, not only to like a 40 card deck that's mono white. Now you got a 360 card and now you have to give unique identities to each one of these signposts, etc. So I'm going to lean on Chris to see if he has seen any signposts or anything that might if you were drafting this, what would yield your, your deck-building decisions, Chris? Yeah, so one of the things that I've noticed drafting this game, we drafted it quite a few times now at this point, and I remember it's been through several iterations, if I remember correctly. And one of the things that I've noticed that is that Planeswalkers are quite strong in, in, in this environment. Uh, I did draft the All-Gideon deck one time. That was, uh, that was really fun. I, I, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that it wasn't a blast to draft the entire Chad deck, but... One of the things that I've, some of the signposts you notice, the life gain is definitely there. Like you said, there's ones that gain life for every time a creature comes into play. You'll also see there's a lot of things like soldier matters. You know, there's things in there that say every soldier gets a bump. Uh, flyers, tokens are a big thing as well, if I remember correctly, and all that. And a lot of things like that will lean me into a certain archetype. So if I open it up and say a spectral procession, you know, just say in my, my first, I honestly first picked that in, in, in the skew because it's very strong. It's always a three drop. There's very few times it's never going to, it's never not going to be a three drop. Things like big flyers are also, also a, a big deal in this as well. There's a lot of angels in here, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. But I also, I have, I have one other question 
for, for you, David. In building this cube, what did you find didn't work? Like, what, what kind of things don't work in a cube like this? So the early build, like when I first started putting this cube together, there was swords with protection from white on them. Mother of runes. Uh, I had a Mox Pearl in it. Not a real one, but I had a Mox Pearl in there. These things were way too powerful. When the whole world is just white cards, you can't have protection from white. There's a lot of removal in there, but it's just not fast enough. If you've got, and I think it's an issue. There's a few things that are on the watch list. Like most of the Gideon Planeswalkers are probably on the watch list because it's things that can be overpowered. I had Smuggler's Copter in there early on, which was way too powerful. You want some card draw, but you don't want, I don't know, it's not a powered environment. There's powerful cards in there because you do want things to be, you want games to be swinging and you want games to end. But you definitely don't want things that are just going to make it not fun. So as we continue to talk about these cards, and some of them we're going to be very topical in it, I will include images in the show notes of any specific cards we talk about. But what David is talking about is how do you make, how do you play to the strengths of a singular color, right? I don't care if this is a mono green cube, mono black cube, mono red cube, etc. A colorless cube like the Devoid cube, right? He's playing within a color restriction, so he's got to paint within the He's got his the palette that he has is very limited to i.e. either some sort of mono white or something like Yorian, which I'll include in the show notes that maybe he breaks or Alluris that I think he breaks it with with hybrid colors. But he's really he's really careful not to bring in something that you know like Brexian Manor or things that at this time at this juncture he's not breaking off from it too much so he doesn't break the color pie. And, and what you'll find in a design like this, he's three hundred and sixty, right? So the structure, so typically if like Chris and I were designing a cube and we were doing our one drop section and we'll just say a 540, we may limit that to maybe 12, 10 max, right? Because you've got to transition over to the two drops, three drops. But when you're doing a singular color, you're going to find a higher yield of these singular like one drops. In this case, he's probably got somewhere around the estimated 25 to 30 one drops, give or takes, right? before you start transitioning to the two, because it's a 360 confined within a single color. There's no breakup in the pie, with the exception of, quote-unquote, colorless mana. And so that does create a unique build here. And I will share this very interesting list. It's it's amazing. And you can use this concept to build upon the strengths of mono white to say, hey, I'm really interested in building a mono red cube, for instance. I want to play the strengths of mono red. Burn, exile, etc., right? So in this case, he's decided he wants to play into the idea of mono white. What do they do well? Anthems, knights, soldiers, tokens, life gain. So it kind of constructs itself to a degree, but then the curation comes online. How do you make this so that you're not overstepping, getting too powerful? He's not running a soul ring in this cube, mind you, but he's got a fault. He's trying to follow this rule set. So what I'm really interested about is talking about some of the draw mechanisms. How do you draw cards? People like to cantrip. People like to move forward. David, how might you go about yourself drawing some cards in your particular environment, sir? So, yeah, it's it's mostly creature-based card draw. You've got cards like Traven Inspector making clues for you. You've got Mentor of the Meek. You've got Wall of Omens. Things like that that are going to get you card draw. There, there are a few cantrips on some of the other spells, but it's the cube is... More than 50% creatures, so that's where most of those abilities lie. There's, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head how many creatures say draw a card on Enter the Battlefield, 
or when something else enters the battlefield, but there's a bunch of that kind of stuff. So one of the things I've observed from playing this cube, and for anybody that wants to copy this cube, and I highly recommend you clone this cube. If you're looking for, well, first off, it's affordable. Second, it's it's easy. It's it's not only for high level players, but it's also for entry level players. That's what this is. This is a great cube at all levels. But one of the neat things about it is it's math driven. This is a very math based cube. That would be one of the I would say a pro and a con of this environment because it's anthems. And not only you got anthems, you have sub anthems. You have knights matters. You have soldiers matters on top of. There's glorious anthem. There's uh, you have glory. Intangible virtue. intangible virtue would be another example. So you can actually get stacks of or layers of anthems on top of individual creature bonuses, right? Elish Norn would be a good example, right? Um, the Grand Cenobite, right? Yeah. And so combine all these ideas together. One of the pros and cons of this is you have you might want to pen some paper or an abacus nearby because you will be scratching out some math. That would be one exchange in combat that I have un, uh, have come to realize within this cube environment. What are your thoughts on that? Have you experienced that as well, Chris? Uh, yeah, a little bit. For the most part, uh, a lot of my games have dealt with a lot of the anthems yet. I generally don't draft those for the most part. I tend to stay more toward the value ETB creatures. Uh, that's just that's my comfort zone. It's what I like. I know the last time we drafted, though, I did draft the, and I will say this, and I know he's talking about those things, but I will interject here that the Yorian deck is awesome. I did draft it as a companion, and it was great. I drafted it. It was really fun. I'd never done it before. Drafting a 60-card deck in this was awesome, and uh, I want to point that out just as a side note. What does Yorian do? So Yorian is a three colorless and two hybrid blue-white mana. It is a companion that Basically, the way the companion rules are, not as printed on the card, I believe, he has in there. But sure. it sits as your 61st card, and, and the reason I say 61st is you have to run it as you have to build a deck with 20 more than your normal starting deck total, which in limited is 40. So in this case, she'll run 60, and it'll sit outside in, in your command zone, sort of, as your companion. You pay three, put it in your hand, and then you can cast it. It's a flyer, and I believe it is a four something. Four five. A four five. And uh, when it comes into play, it blinks things. Uh, they, they come back at the end of turn. So this works really well with things like your spirited companions, your thriving inspectors, your thing that, that has an ETB, it works awesome with. So uh, it was really fun to play this with. Also, your uh, kitchen banks, which is also in here as well, it works really well with that. And I'll just say it, it was really fun. I've never done it before. And uh, we, we did like a little four-player draft, and I, I can't believe I got it to work. And I had a functional 60-card deck. It was really fun. Anyway. Yeah, so Yorian's a pretty good card. It's a great example of how you can run hybrid mana within an environment. Some of the other unique cards that, as a curator that you can run stuff like History of Banalia for one colorless and mono-white, mono-white. It's a mono-white cube. <laughs> chapter 1, you can create a 2-2 white knight creature with a vigilance. And then Chapter 2, do the same again. And then Chapter 3, Knights you control get plus 2, plus 1 until the end of the turn. Cards like this, they, they yield you kind of a uh, your overrun-ish effect. Do you run the Changeling in here that gets plus X, plus X to all your creatures? Uh, you want to, that's kind of the end game in this one, right? What's the Mirror Entity. Mirror Entity is a 2-2 Changeling uh, for white and 2 generic mana that has an ability that's X. Creatures you control become... XX until and all creature types and all creature types. That's exactly right. So it's relevant with every single creature type in the cube. It, it is one of the end game cards because obviously you just typically this these decks get to about seven or eight mana by the end of the game, and so you just make it a bunch of eight eights. 
So based on the creature count that we kind of talked about, in the design of a mono-white cube, you'd say it's more of a combat-oriented theater. Players can expect that if they play a creature-based strategy, that they could go in the back of that, or is it or is there a spells matters opportunity with this too, a control mechanism? I'm used to the paper, rock, scissors design aspect. And we do realize there's flaws in that concept, right? But when I say paper, rock, scissors, I'm going to define that as just two placeholders of aggro mid-range control. How do you define those concepts within a mono-white environment? What represents those different things within the game, uh, the, the concept of the game environment to you as a curator? So in this cube, you've got of the 360 cards, I think 183 are creatures. So, and obviously there's not as much of a typical control type environment. You've got Mana Tithe. This is pretty much your only counter spell. You've got the new Wii Man coming out soon. That's coming. Uh, that is probably going to wind up in there at some point. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's mostly very aggressive um, or very stally, right? Because you have the life gain strategy. You can go wide. I think uh, from what I've seen in playing this cube, a lot of your control elements are going to be your like enchantments, like faith fetters, and you're going to have oblivion ring effects. You also have your banishing lights. You have your cage of hands. Cage of hands. You know, all, all those kind of things. You have a lot of these kind of things that are of silence. Are of silence. Are of silence. Another, control another really good one. Journey to nowhere. All these, and you also, I believe, run swords and path and uh, and all those other ones kind of thing. And they do a really good job of helping control the board. You believe run Wraths. I think you run like five or six Wraths, maybe more than that. I can't remember. So, but you've also got, and I think one of the biggest control wins here is that Mesa Pegasus. The thing that makes the Pegasus, the Sacred Mesa, that card will single-handedly win you the game. What does it do? <laughs> it is an enchantment, two and white, uh, and basically says every upkeep you must sacrifice a Pegasus or sacrifice this. But, for one in a white, I believe you can make a one-one flying Pegasus anytime. Just if you got the mana, you can sink into it and make one in white Pegasus. If you do not have the ability to remove this, the person who controls this can win the game over and gives a lot of inevitability. Uh, it's a fantastic card. Now, there's lots of removal that, that that of course can handle this, but I also have another question for David about this. How did you go about deciding what kind of equipment or the colorless cards to put in here, and how did you decide what lands would would work in this? Because I know you're a mono white cube. What decisions did did you make as far as like putting lands in and, or artifacts in? Where did you? What made you decide to put put, what you, put in what you did? Right. So most of the colorless cards are are like the vast majority of the colorless stuff is equipment with and a few mana rocks because um, I wanted to have some ways to boost. People get, get, you know, maybe a turn ahead, but a lot of those come to play tapped. I'm lucky enough to own a Sarah's Sanctum, so I didn't have to proxy that, so that had to go in. Nykthos Shrine of Nyx had to go in there, because, you know, if you're building a monocolor cube, you want lands that matter about that. And that's why Strip Mine is in the cube, because some of those big mana boosters need to be dealt with. A lot of creature lands in there, but there is Cave of the Forest Dragon, because technically it taps for white, but mostly it taps for damage, so that had to go in. So I kind of want to revisit the idea of what we were talking about before when I said the paper, rock, scissors thing. And Chris kind of did a good job of defining the quote-unquote control pieces embedded within mono-white, right? And then aggro pieces, well, mono-white shines in, in aggro. The definition of that is going to fall very much within something like Ishimaru, if we had to have a poster child for this idea. But what would represent 
mid-range. And I'm asking this question upon myself because I think I know the definition within this particular environment. It's also going to bleed into the quote-unquote control pieces. And it's strangely enough, it's going to be your planeswalker section. Those are going to represent your mid-range threats because most of these, as I'm looking at, for example, Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis. It's a four drop for two colors and two planes and five loyalty. You get a legendary planeswalker, Elspeth. So Elspeth and other and other Elspeth like her, and I'll include all these in the show notes, stuff like Gideon Blackblade or maybe in Gideon of the Trials. Or in this case, he gets to run cool stuff like a Johnny Goldmane. Uh, these very much represent the signpost for a mid-range deck. You can stack up behind these. They also fall within that control inevitability, right? Because he's got those board wipes and the wraths. And he's not running a huge suite of wraths in here. He's not doing the most efficient wraths. He's choosing to allow the creatures to thrive. However, those do represent that middle-of-the-road strategy that bleed over into control mechanisms. Chris, do you agree with that idea? I, I do agree with that. He does a lot to, with that to help bolster both. He wants to basically, basically he wants to bolster all different types of archetypes in this. He wants to bolster the 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 aggro. There's a lot of different aggro creatures, a lot of lots of two ones for one uh, that are in here. There's a bunny efficient two drops, three drops, and things of that nature. He also runs a lot of really cool combat tricks in here too that really help with that. The the point is is that planeswalkers represent not only inevitability but your mid-range threats and your control pieces within a mono-white environment. The reason why I wanted to talk about this cube, and I just wanted to highlight it and get a, ch and get a chance to have David just boast about this amazing concept he's built, he's taken a color that's oftentimes not appreciated. It falls into that weird, uh, when you're drafting, people might treat it as draft chaff because they're chasing those Grixis colors, especially the blue and black, right? It's just a habit of players. And it's really cool that someone has designed a cube that embraces the strengths of this color and then has found ways to parse them out, to silo them so that you as the drafter can see his archetypes. You can see what the intent is. You can, you can find lanes and avenues within a mono-white spectrum, which is so interesting that's outside of the normal drafting. It, it, it'll really throw you as a drafter to go from, say, a five-color cube to get passed over a mono monocolor cube of any kind and say, hey, draft this. I want you to evaluate these cards on the fly during the draft. You got three packs of 15 coming around the coming around the horn here. Make a decision. It creates a unique, not only a draft analysis on the spot for the drafters, but it also creates very unique challenges for David as a curator. David, uh, we're going to kind of move on to the thought, uh, final thoughts of this idea. This is more of a uh, initial segment talking about the highlights of this cube. And I want to dive deeper into the design builds of this. But, uh, David, what are your final thoughts on building a mono-colored cube, specifically mono-white? What did you love about it? What were your trials and tribulations? What do you think you can do better? And where, what are new cards you think you might interject in the future? What are you looking for? So the best thing about building a mono-white cube is that I knew that whoever sits down to draft this is going to have a playable deck when they're done. Whatever pile of cards they've got, they can put together and make something playable. The difficulty there is finding cards that people are going to want to play. Because like you said, when you're looking at just white cards, um, a lot of people don't know what they're looking at. They've never seen most of these cards. There's combat tricks in there that they've never heard of. There's, you know, they've probably seen the Planeswalkers and some of the big splashy creatures, but they're not, these archetypes aren't things that people are looking at specifically. A lot of the, like, typically white in a cube is a secondary color, maybe a tertiary color. 
So the trouble there is is just finding cards that people want to play with. I think the best part about this is is that Wizards has really bolstered life within the past, I'd say, three or four years. They've done a good job playing, making cards that are exciting, making white cards that look really fun to play and that you know people will want to draft, as, as you've said. Uh, I'm going to interject the pet card of mine that I love that's in your cube in harm's way. It's one of my favorites. I love that card. Everyone, more people should play harm's way. It's such a good card. It messes with things. It is a one a one inst a one white instant. You prevent the next two damage, but then you get to redirect that two damage anywhere you want. It's fantastic, and more people should run it. Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> I'm not mad at that at all. If we're going to talk about pet cards, uh, my favorite card in this cube is Charge Across the Araba, which is not going to work in 97% of cubes, maybe more than that, because it, it it planes matters with that card. It's a four and a white for an instant arcane that has the ability sweep. Sweep is return any number of planes you control to their owner's hand. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn for each planes return this way. Very similar to Mirror Entity, that is a game-ending card, and I have absolutely won games in this cube because I drafted it. I pack one, pick one of this card. Yes. So as we're moving to final thoughts on this, I'm going to ask each one of them. I'm going to get them. To, I'm going to put them on the spot. Mono white cube, favorite archetype draft. Me, Planeswalkers with lots of wraths. Chris? Uh, basically a kind of a mix of control and midrange. I love it. Enchantments and stuff that people aren't going to draft otherwise. And that is what a curator does. Other than that, this has kind of been a fun, just an introductory episode to a mono white cube which is unusual for most people i would like to continue this further with us talking about expanding our horizons into other colors maybe theory crafting some other uh, color cubes like mono red mono black we'll talk about this you got a couple of brains here that like love to build cubes we're addicted to this idea and we would love to get together with the community and talk about how we could make focus on what the colors in the individual pie sets do best but other than that uh, thank you, uh, David, and thank you, Chris, for joining us. I truly appreciate it. It was really great having you guys on here. David, it's your first time out. Hoping to see you at KubeCon 2023, although we have no commitment for him whatsoever. But we do have Chris, a.k.a. Sandwich, joining us. Hopefully he's going to be putting his peasant cube uh, up for uh, grabs here shortly to see if we can get it into the running. Love to have you guys put some votes up for it. And if you love the show, we would truly appreciate a five-star review on your favorite player. Also, Ubercube is affiliated with Alter Sleeves. You can use our code for 5% off your, all of your purchases, and it'll help the show to expand its horizons. I uh, will include within the show notes this link, and it'll also be pasted to the Buzzsprout account. Also, if you want to support the show, please use our Inked Gaming affiliate link, which where you can purchase your playmats, your dice bags, your mouse pads, etc. You can get them customized. That's where we get our sweet stuff done. As a matter of fact, our good friend Chill MTG, he recently had a dragon one made that came out absolutely gorgeous using our promo code. I will share that within the show notes and the Buzzsprout link as well. And you can find us at Twitter at Ubercube MTG Pod. You can reach us at Ubercube MTG Podcast at gmail.com or you can link us on Discord, hashtag Ubercube. Also, you can find our Patreon. It is forward slash Ubercube, where we could really use your support. Help us expand that. We have a nice suite and uh, basically ways to incorporate the audience into the show. Check it out. We're always looking for your feedback. Other than that, we're going to say the thing that we always say here at Ubercube is happy cubing. Happy cubing.